so many others that have said, welcome to our services this morning. Hope it is that you found them thus far edifying and encouraging. And uh, we're going to talk about the will of God, but just for a moment, I want to say thank you to all those who have had a part in our Vacation Bible School and getting things ready. Uh, as the old song goes, all things are ready, come to the feast. Um, I hope it is that you're excited. I'm super excited about uh, this week and about the things that it uh, holds. But uh, let me say a special word about um, invitations. There are still a host of these uh, I Am a Sheep cards. The invitations got some information about our Vacation Bible School. They are on the table in the foyer as you exit out to your left. Uh, excuse me, out, as you exit, there are two my left, your right. And uh, you can ha get, pick up one of those and take that and deliver it to somebody. I know that uh, we all have kids running around our neighborhoods. And we all have people that uh, know that they have kids or grandkids that are going to be spending some time with them. Go ahead and invite those people to come. Wouldn't it be great if we had a building full of young people, say 175? I know Rebecca uh, Martin has done a whole lot of work, and I know she may lose her mind, but wouldn't that be a good thing? You know, Not that she loses her mind, but that we have 175 kids. Let me encourage you also... Brothers and sisters, I know that um, schedules may permit you or may not permit you to be here during the day, but there are a lot of you that maybe don't have necessarily anything going on in the mornings. Be here. Be here. One of the things that uh, may be especially beneficial as, uh, as we talk about this is that if you can get here about 8.15 or 8.30, and just be present in the foyer and welcome our visitors. Maybe the people that don't know where it is that they need to take their children. Uh, just let them know how wonderful it is that they're here. And with excitement and with enthusiasm, take them over to the registration table and then help them to come and find the kids where it is they're going to be sitting in their, in their seats. We don't want to neglect to welcome people and make them feel welcome because that's part of this is letting people know the uh, group of Christians and the body that exists here and the love that we experience and the love that we have a responsibility to show to others. Invite, pray, be present, and enjoy because it's going to be a whole lot of fun and I know the Word of God is going to be planted in the, seat, in the hearts of these children and hope it is you're looking forward to that. We are talking this morning about the will of God. What is God's will for my life? Can I know God's will for my life? Young man is just graduating from high school, and he receives a graduation card. He opens up the card, and hopefully there's a check inside. But as he opens it up, somebody's wrote, written Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For you know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a future and give you a hope. And you look at that card, and the young man has written down there, the people that gave him the card, and says, I can't wait to see the plans that God has for you and how you're going to fulfill those plans. Is it really possible to know those plans? Young lady sits across the desk from a counselor. She's been dating a young man for a little while, and she's looked at the relationship and realizes that he doesn't have the same values as she does. You see, she's a Christian. He's not. And as she realizes that he's carrying her away from the Lord in the manner of the, the dating uh, relationship, and as she realizes that she's not on a good track, she goes and sits down with this counselor and she says to him, but I know it's God's plan for me to be with this young man. That's something she can really know for sure. What about the parents who think about uprooting their family? and saying, we're going to leave maybe the Rosenberg area, and we're going to move to the other side of the country. 
And yes, we're Christian parents, and yes, we know that we've got a good, solid relationship with the congregation here, and we know that things are going really well, spiritually speaking, but you know what? That job on the other side of the country is we get to make a whole lot more money. And yes, I know the church isn't strong there. In fact, we'd have to drive an hour and a half to find the nearest sound, faithful congregation to the Lord. But maybe it's God's will that this door is open, and maybe it's God's will that we move all the way across the country into the situation. Is that really something you can know for sure? Is that really something we can think about and know for certain that this is God's will or this is not God's will? As we get started this morning, I want you to understand this truth. What God wants for you and me should be the utmost importance to us. What God wants for your life and my life should be of the highest priority and the highest importance to you and I as Christians. Brothers and sisters, I appreciate somebody who wants to consider God's will and say, maybe I ought to think about what God wants me to do with regard to this situation. And the people that ask these questions, I believe, are asking from a point of sincerity, from a place of sincerity and say, I want to do what my Heavenly Father is pleased with. I appreciate that. In fact, the Bible would tell us on the opposite extreme in James chapter 4, There is a danger, in fact, James would call it sin, when I don't consider the will of God in my plans. You remember James chapter 4, James says, here's somebody who's planning to do something. They're going to go into such and such a city and they're going to buy and sell and trade for a year and they're going to make a profit. And he says, but what you've done is you've failed to consider whether or not that's God's will for you. He says, instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord is willing, we'll go and buy and sell and uh, spend a year and make a profit. He said, but instead, you boast in your arrogance. You know, it's arrogant for us to disregard God's will when we're making plans for our lives. That's what James says in James chapter 4. And on the tails of that, he says, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. What God wants for your life and my life should be of the utmost importance to us. We need to really think about those things and wonder and to ask counsel of the Lord as to what it is that he wants me to do. But what people want to do today, what the temptation for us to do today is to try and pinpoint every little step and every little detail and try and point this out and say, yes, this is God's will. Absolutely, this is obvious to me. God has revealed this to me and and I know that I'm right on the right path that I need to be because I have the approval of God's will in my decisions. And so they ask the question constantly, it seems, is this next decision I'm about to make in overall keeping with God's will or God's scheme or God's plan for my life? It's as if God has this perfect picture that he's drawn up here. And if I don't make the exact right step in the exact right way in the exact right time, then this picture is going to be incomplete and this picture is not going to be what God wants it to be. Is that really the way that it works? When we ask questions, young people, about dating, is this the person that God has planned for me? Is this my soul mate? Does God want me to have this friendship? Sometimes our young people have struggled with, and uh, especially in the college years, is this the degree plan that God wants me to pursue? Is this God's will that I have this degree or to go to this college or to do this, this thing within college? What about living? Does God will that I should live in Rosenberg or live in Richmond or live in Sugarland? Does God will that I live 4,000 miles away on the other side of the earth? What about my job? 
What about moving to another job? Is this God's will? And we try and pinpoint every single little thing along the way. And we do wonder about it. I believe honestly and sincerely. Note a couple of truths as we get started this morning. Those of you who are following along on your sermon outline sheets, I switched to a new operating system this week, and so it, didn't, it wasn't quite compatible with the uh, operating system on the computer which it was printed. So you're going to be a couple of little points short down at the very bottom. Don't let that deter you from writing that down in the little uh, blank space that you have at the very bottom. But just realize that there's more, there's more to fill in than there are blanks on the page, I guess is a good way to say that. So I feel like the shepherd's looking at me accusingly for, for messing up the sermon outline sheet, but... What God wants for you and me should be the most importance for this. Truth number one to realize, folks, God will never know what God has in his will for our lives unless he reveals it. We're never going to know what the will of God really is for our life unless God reveals it to us. Note a couple of examples to consider this morning. Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is dwelling already at Haran. He had already received a call, the book of Acts tells us, when he was back in Ur of Chaldees. And you remember that Abraham was a prominently successful man. And he was a man of, uh, of, of means. And he had his family there. And he has relationships there. At what point would Abraham have ever said in and of his own accord, I feel like it's God's will for me to move my family 600 miles away, following the Fertile Crescent all the way down into the land of Israel, which God is going to give my descendants years and years and years and years and years later. When would that have ever crossed Abraham's mind to say, this is what God's will is? Instead, we see Genesis 12, God calling Abraham and saying to him, Abraham, you get out of your land, you go to a land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham heard the word of the Lord, and Abraham followed the will of the Lord. That was that he got out of that land so that Abraham could bring about the Christ. And we sit here today as spiritual beneficiaries of Abraham making that choice to follow the will of God so many years ago. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad he followed faithfully, and we have Abraham in the line of godly men that we can imitate his faith. And following, even though it was that he couldn't see where he was going. I think about Moses. Remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household in Exodus chapter 1. First 40 years of his life, he lived there in Pharaoh's household under the tutelage of some of the greatest teachers in all of Egypt. And some of the greatest learning of all the day. And Moses grew up in that household. And then at one point, he decided, you know what, I'm going to be a deliverer to God's people. That didn't work out so well for him whenever he tried to do that on his own. Instead, what happened was, do you remember that Moses had to flee out into the wilderness where he stayed for another 40 years before it was that he met a burning bush, a bush that was being consumed with fire, only it wasn't burned. And God said, Moses, you're the guy. You're going to go back into Egypt and you're going to lead my people out as I do all these wonders and signs through your hands for Pharaoh to believe. When would Moses have ever said, this is a good idea? When would he have ever, of his own accord, thought in the wilderness of meeting among Jethro's sheep, thought, I have a great idea. I'm going to run back right into Egypt. I'm going to march right up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Without God's revelation. I'm glad he did. With God's revelation. And he followed the will of God for his life because God revealed it to him. If you want to take any Bible character 
that we read about in the Old Testament or New Testament and plug them into this scenario, you're going to find this to be true. God's will is revealed to these people specifically, intentionally. If you want to go and look at the minor prophets, the book of Amos, Amos as they sometimes characterized the country preacher from Tekoa going to northern Israel to say, look at all this extravagance. At one point, somebody accused Amos and said, Amos, you ought to just go back and keep on keeping the sheep. And Amos said, listen, this is not my idea. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I was a shepherd among the, the sheep, and, and I was a sheep herder. That was my job. That was my profession. The difference is that, that by the will of God, God said, go to Israel. Go tell them their sins. Go try and help them to repent. And Amos went. We will never know what the will of God is unless God is going to reveal it to our lives. Note this truth number two. Even godly men got it wrong when there was no revelation. Even godly men got it wrong when there was no revelation of his will. I've got two passages that detail the same occasion. David, the king, the great king, the king that all the Jews would have looked at and said, he's the guy. It's his line that God's going to cause a, a descendant to sit upon the throne. Remember what David did? After it was that he had rest from his enemies all around, David began to look at his own house and say, what a beautiful palace I have. And look at the house of the Lord. It's just a tent. It's a movable structure with curtains and no permanent place. And so David says, I've got a great idea. I've got something that I can think that I believe that God is going to want. I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to build him a permanent fixed structure here in the capital city of Jerusalem. And you remember that Nathan, the prophet, as David tells his plans to him, Nathan, I've got this great idea. We're going to take the tent, the tabernacle, and we're going to turn it into a temple and, and set it up here in Jerusalem. Nathan says, David, you go and you do all that's in your heart. Nathan said, that's a great idea. That's awesome. The passage there in Chronicles tells us that that very night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet and said, you go back to David and say, are you really going to build a house for me? David, in fact, the condemnation for David was, David, you've got too much blood on your hands. But instead, what's going to happen is you're not going to build that temple, but your son Solomon will, and I will bless him. But David, thinking that he was doing the will of God, doing something that God would be pleased with, David and the great prophet Nathan both thought this was a great idea and something that God would absolutely want in his will. God said, nope, that's not it. That's not it. And so we cast the question today and look at the dilemma for us today. Folks, without revelation from God, without God telling us specifically, this is my will for Andy Baker, the best I can say is what was read in just a few moments ago in our scripture reading. The words of Mordecai from Esther chapter 4. Who knows whether or not you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, you have an opportunity as the context goes to go into the king and to stand before the king and make a plea on behalf of the people. And Esther, if you don't do this, I know deliverance is going to come from somewhere. But if you do this, if you don't do this, then you and your father's household are perish. But who knows whether God took you, Esther, and put you right where you needed to be for such a time as this. Who knows? 
The dilemma for us for today, folks, is that revelation, God's continual revelation, specific revelation to mankind has ceased. I say that ongoing revelation has ceased. Second Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Question, how much is all? All is all. God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Jude says, I, uh, I'm writing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all time delivered to the saints. What does that tell me? Jude says, everything that God wants in his will has been delivered to us one time through the New Testament, through the revelation of these apostles and prophets that spoke the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is inspired and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God, the person who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, the man of God may be perfect, complete, adequately equipped unto every good work. What do I need in order to be complete other than what the Bible has revealed, what the Spirit has revealed? The answer is not a thing. I have the will of God. I have the inspired word of God that gives me what God wants me to do. There's no Abraham moments. There's no Moses moments. There's no Amos moments. Not even a Nathan moment. It's not going to happen in direct terms. But if I want to know the will of God, I've got to look into his word. The greater problem that we addressed just a moment ago is that, folks, we're living in a culture that looks at the word of God or looks at the will of God and says it's something mysterious. It's something we can't really know. And so we have people that treat it kind of like an unexplained event. And we use the term will of God in these kind of cryptic terms. Here's some teenagers that were on their way home from a party. And a drunk driver crossed over the center median and smashed headfirst into them, killed all four of them. And at the morning, at the, at the uh, people coming and trying to console those parents, you know what sometimes people will say? It must have been the will of God. Folks, please don't ever be guilty of saying things like that. All you're doing is creating more problems than you really are helping. And that's something that you absolutely don't know. You're saying that that was God's will, that that person got in that car impaired by alcohol and smashed headfirst into those... You cannot say that. And that's nothing that we want to be guilty of saying. The best thing you can say in those situations is nothing at all. Sitting there and be comforting and be encouraging. But people want to know what's the will of God. Maybe this is the will of God, or maybe this is the will of God, or maybe that's just God's plan. Maybe it's, it's God calling. Some people want to treat the will of God kind of like a coincidence. A series of unexplained happenings. Look, here's a will of God revealed in my grilled cheese sandwich. Here's the will of God revealed in this statue that seemed like it was facing this way, but now it's facing this way, and God wants me to go this way instead of this way. Maybe this is not a coincidence. People want to try and treat the will of God that way. Some people want to treat the will of God kind of like winning the lottery. There's maybe just a few people who are going to find it, just a lucky few. I find it ironic in this picture that you have a coin with, in God we trust, Scratching off a, a sheet of paper that's got money, monetary amounts on it. But people want to treat the will of God like winning a lottery. If I find it, yes, I'm just one of a lucky few that do. More commonly, 
And I think this describes a majority of sincere people that want to concern themselves with the will of God. Sometimes people want to consider the will of God like a dot-to-dot puzzle. Ever do these as a kid? Where you go to the restaurant and you open up the little kid's book and uh, here's number one. I want to connect number two, number three, number four, number five, all the way around. And if I miss one dot, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to mess up the picture. (laughs) I'm going to mess it all up to where it's not even going to look like a horse or a camel or a sheep or whatever it's supposed to look like. I'm going to mess that up. And if I miss one single dot, then it's not going to make sense. I want to know that my life fits into a picture larger than what it is that I can see here at this moment. And in a measure of control, I want to say this picture is going to fit just this so, kind of like what this guy does with the cliff bar. It's to say, look, it fits perfectly in God's plan and God's scheme for my life. The reality is, this is truth number three before we actually begin our sermon. (laughs) You're welcome. No, I'm just kidding. God has a plan for your life, and he has revealed it to you. God has a plan for your life, and he has revealed it to you. It's not in the stars. It's not in the accidents. It's not in the grilled cheese sandwiches. It's not in tragedy. It's not in difficult circumstances. But it may be, and if it wakes us up to do his will. But it's put in a place where we think to look. B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Somebody called the Bible in an acrostic, basic instructions before leaving earth. You've heard that before. The B-I-B-L-E, God has put it in a place where he would know that we could look for it. So when we ask the questions, who should my best friend be? Should I date this person? Should I move to this city? Should I behave like this? Should I go to this place? Should I stay away from this place? God has already answered it in principle for each one of us that we can look at. Quickly this morning as we close, let me give you four places that God has told you specifically, this is what I want for your life. I love those passages that say, this is God's will for you. That's what we're looking at. Because I know I can underline them, I can highlight them, I can star them in my Bible and say, I can see that that is geared towards me. This is God's will for you. This is God's will for me. Four places in the New Testament. Please turn with them, please, uh, as as we move on. God's will, what does he want more than anything, is that you be saved. Is that you be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, what is God's will? God desires, God wants, God yearns for all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 Speaking similarly, talking about scoffers coming in the last day saying, where's Jesus? All things have continued since the very beginning. Where's Jesus? Where's the promise of his coming? And Peter's saying, no, 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 you you misunderstand. And he would say that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, a thousand years is a day. Then he would go on to say, the time that we have allowed today, God's not willing that any should perish. What does God want? He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you, you who work iniquity. God wants that person, he says, uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to make their life right. 
two of these passages deal with the will of God in a very specific terms. You know what I find to be very, very frustrating? Is that when you deal with people on a daily basis who you know are not right with the Lord, who you know have no regard for the Word of God and for His will for their lives, and yet at the same time they're looking and saying, well, if it's God's plan, I'm going to walk this path. If it's God's plan, I'm going to go this direction. I'm going to do this. We have people that come to the building from time to time who are looking for financial assistance. And they'll come to the building and they'll come and they'll sit down in the, in the chair opposite Peggy or Jill there in the office. And Troy and I will go and they'll stand and we'll just listen to them for a little while. And something that occurs to me that comes up over and over and over again is, well, I'm just trying to do the will of God. And if it's God's will, I'm going to have my money so that I can pay for whatever I need, my gas, my hotel, my car, uh, whatever those things are. And I'll ask the question. We never want to leave those people without a message. And one of us will ask the question and say, well, when was the last time you attended worship services? Are you a member of a church somewhere? No, no, I know I should be, but I'm just, I'm just not. Well, have you obeyed the gospel? No, I know I need to get right with the Lord. But I, what God wants of your life more than anything else more than you having your next car payment or you having your light, light bill turned off or whether it is that you spend the night in a hotel or out on the street somewhere. What God wants more for your life is this, that you come to a knowledge of the truth, that you don't stand on the receiving end of God's wrath, that you're not a person to whom God is going to have to say depart. More than anything else, God wants you to obey the gospel, to be saved. Several Mondays ago, we had breakfast with the Romeos, and there was a gentleman who came over and visited with us sitting at the table. I, I say us. I was a part of the Romeos that morning. But the man was wondering why we weren't preaching more about GMOs and about uh, the poisons and toxins that we're putting into our body and about why it is that the earth was uh, round or flat instead of round. And He's asking us all those things, and I'm asking him the question again and again and again. When was the last time you talked about somebody being saved and come to acknowledge the truth? Well, I know that's important, but what I'm, I'm really important is let's talk about the toxins and the things and what the companies are doing. He wanted to talk about those things and not about the core message of why Jesus came to the earth to begin with. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What God wants for you in your life and for me in my life is that we be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. Look at Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. And when you get to Ephesians 5, turn and draw or uh, write a cross-reference there to Colossians 3, verse 16. What does the church look like, Ephesians 5? That's what Ephesians is answering. He says, don't be foolish, verse 15. Don't be empty-headed or vain, verse 17. Don't be drunk with wine, verse 18, which is dissipation, saying you're giving evidence of a person who doesn't know God, giving evidence of a person who's abandoned and living a dissolute life or behaving without morals. He says, but instead, be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's not a miraculous thing to where the Spirit comes in and sets down on, on me like a cloven tongue of fire like he did in Acts chapter 2. What being filled with the Spirit, Colossians 3.16, tells me is to let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly in all wisdom. What does that mean? I let the Word of God affect me from the inside out. I let it change me from the inside out, from the places I go and the people I associate with and the way that I talk 
and the way that I behave, all of those things are swept clean so that I can just do what God wills in me. Does God will that I behave like Jesus? The answer is yes, absolutely. Does God will that I go about doing good? The answer is yes, absolutely. Does God will that I, he wants me to, to live my life encouraging and edifying other people as far as the church goes? The answer, answer is yes, absolutely. That's the context of Ephesians 5, 17 and 18. Be spirit-filled, filled with the word of God, filled to the brim, so that every decision I make is not of me, but as of the Lord who purchased me. That's God's will for your life. Note this next, number three. God's will is that you be sanctified. Sanctified. Look at this passage over here in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Stay with me, please. 1 Thessalonians 4, what does God will? Look at verse 3. For this is, what are we talking about? The will of God, your sanctification, that you should know how to abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification, second time he's used that term, and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of such, as we forewarned and testified you. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness." Third time in that passage, a word is made reference to holiness, sanctification, sanctification, holiness, cleanness, wholeness, set-apartness. What does God want me to do? He wants me to behave and to make sure that I keep my vessel sanctified. Sanctified. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean, Lord? There are some things that I as a Christian shouldn't wear. There are some things, as a Christian, I shouldn't participate in. Lascivious dancing, going some places where the bodies are going to be moving in an impure manner, an unclean manner. There are some places I shouldn't go and some things I shouldn't participate in because they do not accord with me holding on to that vessel in sanctification and honor. I need to treat it as special. I need to make sure that I'm walking in wisdom. I need to make sure that I'm behaving in such a way. So people will say, well, how short is too short? How low cut is too low cut? How uh, tight is too tight? When it comes to things like modesty, the answer is, brothers and sisters, enough so people know there's a difference in you and your life and your morals and that you're not flaunting that body to be desired, but you're behaving in a modest way. That's God's will for your life that you stay away from. Paul would say, flee from sexual immorality. Don't stay near it. Don't hold on to it. It's not worth it. Because that's not the will of God for you. Your, the will of God for you is that you possess your vessel in holiness. Number four, what is the will of God for your life? Look at next chapter over, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is, here it is, the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. What is God will for you and for me? Folks, he wills that we be people that know how to say thank you. Sincerely, honestly, openly. We have an opportunity just as soon as services are dismissed and we go out to eat. And we have that service that may be subpar. Maybe we have that service that's got a bad day and we have... Oh, I'm paying for this meal. 
and I'm going to let that server know exactly what I think about them. Wait a minute. We need to be people who say thank you, who give thanks. We don't need to be people who are grumbling and complaining, Philippians chapter 4. We don't need to be people who are uh, griping and, and, and irrita uh, an irritation to somebody because of our poor manners. You want to find out whether somebody's walking in the will of God or not, find out how grateful they are for what they have. We were grateful this morning in our Bible class for our air conditioner. We were grateful in this morning because of the heat outside. It's hard to be grateful this whenever you step out and you realize how oppressive the heat is, but we can be grateful that the Lord is still upholding all by the word of his power. Folks, what does God want you to do? If we just did these four things and devoted to our life to these four things, you know what happens is that when I have a decision about my job or about my career or about my spouse or about my college or any decision that I make, if we're doing these four things, any decision you make, God is going to be pleased with. There's no right or wrong answer when you talk about your career path going down one and you get make more money because of that. But if I'm seeking the will of God first and I'm following after what Jesus said, Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God's not going to care or God's not going to concern him with, himself with how much money you make. The question we ought to be asking is, how can I use that money to glorify him more? Somebody once told us to pray for a job decision and said, okay, I'm, I'm praying that this is the will of God that I have this job. I know it's going to be longer hours. I know that I'm not going to be able to faithfully attend services on Sunday. I know that it's going to take me away from the worship and away from God's people, but I need the money, and I know this is God's will, so pray for that. Really? You're going to talk about a job that you want to take that's going to take you away from God's people and the encouragement and the appointment that we have in worship? Brothers and sisters, I don't know how you can attribute that to God and His will. God gives us the freedom to say, I'll make my choice within the confines of God's will and what he wants me to do, and I know that God will be pleased. One man said it like this, and I can't say it any better. God doesn't care if you work for Coke or for Pepsi just as long as you work for him. God doesn't care if you work for Coke or for Pepsi as long as you work for him. Is this job, is this decision, is this spouse, is this choice that I'm going to make going to accord with these four things? And then I can make that choice and I can know that I'm living a life that God is pleased with. Thank you for your attention this morning. Get your songbooks out and open up to the song of encouragement that Jim announced. The price that each one of us have for one another and the love of Christ and wanting to reach out with the gospel, our Vacation Bible School is a tool to that end and the church here trying to accomplish the will of God on the earth, and that is to bring men Christ. Are you going to walk in the will of God this week? Are you going to encourage in the will of God this week and help these young souls to know something about Jesus Christ that we serve so faithfully here and the Lord God who sent him? Maybe it is this morning that you haven't been walking according to righteousness. Maybe it is that you haven't considered God's will for your life. I encourage you to make that right this morning. Maybe it is that you're outside of Christ this morning. You realize your need to obey the gospel. 
What a wonderful way to end our services this morning to have somebody, a precious soul, who's been added to the kingdom. If you would like more information about that, or if we can study with you and pray with you, pray for you, whatever your need is, we're going to offer a time of invitation where we're going to invite you to come to the front, or maybe it is you just grab the coat of somebody next to you and say, listen, I need help. I don't know what I need, and we'd be glad to help you. Whatever it is, won't you make your need known as we stand and sing our invitation song?